know this is, uh, in fact, Mother's Day, and if you weren't aware of that, then your mom is probably very upset with you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't want to put uh, any, more, uh, any more pressure on you than this holiday already puts on you. See, the thing is, uh, with our holiday setup, we focus a lot on one specific day for one specific group of people. Have you ever... Have you ever noticed that? It's, uh, it's something that happens with Mother's Day, with Father's Day, with Christmas, with Easter. Uh, it, it's one of those things where we pick a day out of the year to celebrate an event or a person, and there's so much pressure to get that right. And I think that as a pastor, I think that they would, uh, they would tell you as a group that it is something that you feel the pressure to get right. Because you want to honor those that the holiday uh, exists for. You want, to ho- you want to honor the event that the, the holiday commemorates. But at the same time, you have to be uh, mindful of, of so many different situations in relation to those events. You take Mother's Day, for instance. It's a day where we pick one day out of the year to honor mothers. But just like those other holidays that I named, Christmas, Easter, Father's Day, so many others... You really should be doing what that day prompts you to do year-round. It shouldn't just be something that happens one day a year. You've heard it said, if you wait for Thanksgiving to be thankful, then something's wrong. Uh, If you wait for Easter or Christmas to think about what the Lord has done in coming to this world and being the sacrifice that we need for sin, if you wait till those days to think about that, then something is wrong. And the same is true for Mother's Day. If you wait till today to think about your mom, then something is wrong, but you have to also understand that Mother's Day isn't a celebration for everyone. There are several situations uh, that so many people struggle with in relation to Mother's Day, whether that be the loss of a mother or the fact that maybe you never knew your mother or the fact that you are struggling as a young mother or the fact that you've always wanted to be a mother and for whatever reason have been unable to. There are so many different situations when it comes to Mother's Day that how do you speak to all of those? How do you uh, say to all of them that this is, you know, happy Mother's Day, but your situation matters? How do you do those two things? How do you give the honor to one group but, but be mindful of, of others and their experience. How do you do that? Well, I think we've done a poor job uh, in recent years, and by we, I mean the church as a whole, not just here at Sharon Heights. I think we've let holidays kind of invade Sundays, and so what happens is we let that holiday become greater than the purpose of a Sunday, and every Sunday the purpose is to make much of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel, to let people know who he is and what he's done for them, so that they can see how much he loves them, how much he cares for them, how much he can provide for them, everything that he can do for them. That's the purpose of a Sunday. Yet we let so many holidays uh, take our focus off of that. And so you end up with topical sermons about moms in the Bible, and uh, they'll make you stand up and they'll clap for you, and then that's kind of it for the day, and and that's, that's, that's all there is. So the best thing that I can think to do today is to keep that Sunday focus and to say we have to make much of Jesus if we are ever going to honor 
mothers properly. And if we're ever going to speak into those many different situations that people may be thinking about uh, or feeling on a day like today. So we have to make much of Jesus today if we're ever going to uh, honor those, comfort those uh, the way that we need to. There is nothing that I can say to each of those groups that would be sufficient other than Jesus is enough. And today, uh, with that in mind, I think what I want to do is is use a story about a mother uh, to make much of the Lord. And I want to do that from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. I think in these verses, we'll see how the Lord can provide and the Lord can use us to bring others to himself. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8, the word of God reads this way. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell, dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Verse 17, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to see his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Let's take a moment and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we read this scripture, we pray that you would help us to 
focus our hearts and minds on you, dear God, that you would open the scripture up, that you would help us understand it, that you would help me to explain it, that you would do a work in this time that only you through your word can do. I pray that you would help us to see the truth of these words, to apply them to our lives, dear God, and to change our lives, to make us look more like you and less like those old selves, dear God. We pray all this in the Son's name. Amen. So, as we kind of walk through this uh, text, I think it's probably necessary that we kind of give a little context, a little background as to how we got here, and then we'll make a couple of, of, of observa- observations. So, we find ourselves reading about Elijah during a drought and during a famine. So, how did we get to this point? Well, this chapter in particular, chapter 17, opens up and tells us about Elijah, a prophet of God. Now, this prophet of God appears on the scene pretty suddenly, and there is one focus on his mind, and that is to show that the pagan god Baal, who so many of the people at this time worshipped, that the pagan god Baal was not a true god and was nothing compared to the god of Israel. That is Elijah's main work. And so, You could say that Elijah is uniquely gifted for this work because even his name has a meaning for this work. His name means that Yahweh is God. So even his name is a declaration that the Lord of Israel is the true God. So he shows up on the scene. He is trying his best to combat this government that is solely focused on Baal worship, Ahab the king, was a supporter because of his wife, Jezebel. She was a big believer of this nature God who allegedly had the power to control the weather and to control so many other things. And so Elijah begins to uh, challenge this belief, and he goes directly to the source of this God's power. So if Baal is supposedly this nature God who can control the weather, what better way to test him than to say, it will not rain until I pray for rain. And I do this on behalf of the one true God. That's exactly what Elijah does in these first seven verses of chapter 17. He says, there is a true God. This God Baal is not the true God. He is powerless compared to my God, and let me show you how it will not rain. And as he says this, he is, again, he's trying to show that the Lord His God is the true God. He's trying to show that that God is alive because so many people in Israel at this time assumed that the Lord uh, was dead, was not working, was, was gone. And so Elijah is doing his best to be faithful and to show that God is very much alive and very much in control. And wouldn't you know, a drought occurs. It doesn't rain for a period of time, and we know that because of this drought that had occurred, so many other areas of life were affected. So you're talking about a famine beginning. If there's no water, there's no crops. If there's no crops, there's no food. So this famine begins, and these verses are very clear that the Lord is providing for Elijah during this time. He actually calls him to this area that has a little brook, and he says, you'll stay by this area, you'll camp by this area, and you'll drink from this brook, And I will make ravens bring you food every single day. And so that is how Elijah lives for some time. But when we pick up in our section, God is sending Elijah away from that brook. That brook has dried up. 
And, and God is calling Elijah to move. He says, go to Zarephath. Now, that doesn't seem like too much of a, a deal to us because if God had moved him to a brook when there was no water anywhere else in the land and here is something that he can drink from and he has ravens bringing him food, then surely wherever God moves him, he's going to provide. Well, that's true. But where God moves him is interesting because Zarephath is a Gentile city and it's actually the area where Jezebel was from. So God is asking Elijah to go essentially into enemy territory to find the provision that he has promised during this time of drought and famine. Now, it's not enough that the Lord is calling him to a hostile territory, but the Lord reveals something to Elijah in these verses. He tells him that he will have a widow there ready to prepare for him. Now, during this time and this region, a widow would have been equated to poverty. She has no one to provide for her. She has no way to provide for herself. Uh, So how will someone so poor be the one that's going to provide for Elijah? All of these things are probably going on in his mind. I've to him, it probably seemed better to stay by that dry brook and wait for some some more ravens than to move to enemy territory and look for a widow to provide for him. Yet the text tells us that Elijah does exactly what God calls him to do. He gets up, he goes to Zarephath, and he finds a woman, a widow, gathering sticks. Now, if he was expecting this to be some sort of rare, well-off, her third husband left her a fortune type of widow, this was not the case. We see that she is gathering sticks. Now, there is no, there's no shortage of sticks during this famine and drought. This means that she can't even afford firewood. She is gathering sticks, and we know why. She reveals to us in just a second, but he finds her gathering sticks. So what kind of provision is this going to be? Now, this is where things shift a little bit. They move from kind of Elijah's perspective in being faithful and trusting God, even when he calls him to enemy territory, even when he tells him that a widow is going to be the one that he uses to provide for Elijah. He, he's faithful to trust God and to go there. But the scene kind of shifts a little bit, and we begin to see the widow's perspective. We see... God do all these things for Elijah, yet as we meet this widow, we begin to see a call for her to be faithful and for her to be obedient. Now, here's this widow, and she's approached by this strange man, and she is asked for water and food during a period of drought and famine. The the text tells us that Elijah comes upon her, and he essentially says, go and get me a cup of water. And as she turns to go, as she's walking away, if that's not a big enough demand on her uh, resources, as she turns to go for that, he says, oh, and bring me some food too. And the woman turns and she answers and her answer is essentially what we would expect. It's nothing really that is unexpected. The widow reveals she has very little food left. In fact, the reason she's gathering these sticks is so that she can build a small fire, she can take the last of her uh, resources and make a meal for her and her son, and then she plans on dying because that is the last bit of food 
that she has. Even more than all this, she refers to God, the God, the God of Israel. She, re- she refers to that God as Elijah's God. So very clearly, she is not a believer. She probably heard about this God, but she is not a believer. This is Elijah's God. So here is a woman who has no resources and who doesn't even believe in God, yet the Lord said he commanded this widow there to provide for Elijah. So how can that be? How is it that God commanded this woman to be there to provide for Elijah? Because it doesn't really seem like that's what's happening. She has no resources. She's not even a believer. What's going on here? Well, it seems that God is true in what he said. He did put a widow there. And he has this widow who probably expected none of this. She probably didn't think that some strange man was going to approach her and ask her for water and ask her for food in a time of drought and famine. He didn't say that she would be someone who was able to provide, and he didn't say that she would be a believer. He just said that she would be there and that she was going to be the thing that God used to provide for Elijah. And then we see Elijah's response to this woman. He says this, he says, don't fear, don't be afraid. This whole section, verses 8 through 16, are showing us something about obedience and provision. Elijah tells the woman, do not fear. And he instructs her to go to make a meal and to make a small cake for him before she does anything for her or her son. And then he says this, the Lord your God, my God, will supply uh, a never-ending resource. He will give you food that never ends. And that's a bold claim from Elijah. How, how is he able to say this? How can he say to this woman, here is going to be a never-ending supply of food if you just go and make food for me first and then provide for you and your son? How is he able to make such a claim? Well, Elijah has trusted the Lord and been obedient to this point, and he has seen provisions time and time again. When God calls him to stand up to Ahab and the rest of the government and say, I'm, I'm going to pray that it doesn't rain until I pray again. He said that by faith. When God leads him to a brook and says, you'll drink from this brook and you'll, you'll uh, wait for ravens every day to bring you food, he was obedient to do that. When God said, move from where you are into enemy territory and look for a widow to provide for you, Elijah does that. So Elijah understands something about God and provisions and obedience. He has seen it time and time again. He has seen that God has provided, that he's able to do so, and that he's willing to do so. And the amazing thing about this is that this widow does, in fact, trust in God's promise. She does exactly what Elijah instructs her to do. She makes something for Elijah first, and then a meal for her family. And the text goes on to tell us that the flour and the oil do not run out, and that the widow, her son, and Elijah are able to eat, that they are provided for for many days to come. And I know what you're probably all thinking, that's all well and good, but what exactly does this have to do with Mother's Day? Well, I tried to tell you at the beginning that my focus, my main goal here is to make much of the Lord in the time that we have today. So, 
Here we see the ability of God to provide in the midst of any circumstance. Whether it be Elijah and his faithfulness to stand for God against all of these other pagan worshipers. If it's this widow who is called by someone who she doesn't even know, who believes in something she doesn't even believe in, to provide for a stranger before she provides for her own family. Whatever the case, God is able to provide in these different circumstances. He is orchestrating the needed relationships and the needed resources during this time for these people. And he's looking for obedience and responsibility first. He is providing in all of these different areas, but he's looking for obedience and responsibility first. He provided for Elijah by the brook. It was safe there. It was far from enemy territory. And yet he then calls Elijah to go closer to the enemy and trust that provision is going to come from a widow. What he's doing there is he's building his relationship with Elijah. He's saying, you've made this stand for me. Now I want you to do something else. I want you to go here and trust that there'll be provision, that there'll be a brook, that there'll be ravens to feed you. That took something of obedience and faith on Elijah's part to go and do what the Lord had called him to do. And as the Lord orchestrated that situation and Elijah began to trust more and more in God, he then calls him to something greater. And he says, now go into enemy territory and trust that I will use a widow to provide for you. It's the same thing he does in our own lives. He orchestrates situations where he calls us to do something and it slowly builds our faith and our trust in him. As we take that next right step, as we pursue him, as we're faithful and obedient and we trust him, he's building that relationship and then he's going to call us to something greater. And he's looking for that same faith and obedience to take that next step and do that next thing. He does the same thing for the widow. He increases her responsibility before he provides any of the resources that she wants or she needs. This widow probably wants nothing more than just to provide for herself and her son. Any mother would. Let me just provide for myself and my children. Let us make it through whatever crazy time that this is, this famine and drought. Let us make it through this. Let us make it through it together. And we'll be happy. That's probably all she was looking for. Yet, responsibility is added to her. Something is asked of her. And she is faithful to respond. It says, feed a stranger before you would feed yourself or your son. Don't be afraid, but instead trust. And what happens, she trusts. She shows obedience in this area and she shows faith in the promises of a God that's moments before she didn't even believe in so to all of you out there who think that especially our moms who think that you know my child is rebelling my child is not listening to me they have gotten older and they are just doing their own thing the encouragement from this text is to be faithful where you are to use the resources and influence you have, to use them faithfully in pursuing God and trust that he can provide what you want and what you need. What you want is oftentimes in that situation for your child to understand what you're trying to do, to develop their own relationship to the Lord. And what you need is patience and all of these other things so that you can withstand that moment in time, that, that season Well, we saw from Elijah and the widow that he is able to provide those things. Use what you have 
in the right way. Continue to lead and influence in a faithful way. Do not be afraid, but instead trust. There are others, like we mentioned earlier, to those who have lost a mother. To those who are in need of comfort and faith. The ability to continue on. He can provide those things as well. He has the ability to give you what you want and need in those areas as long as you pursue him and are obedient to use what he has given you in a faithful way. To the one who maybe never became a mom for whatever reason, who on a day like today is experiencing pain, know that he has an overflowing store of comfort and peace for you. To all of those that feel alone, helpless, he can provide what you need. He comforts, he provides, he waits for us to set aside our fear and to trust him, to put our faith in him and to say, as you've grown me, I see the ability to take the next step. And even when I don't see what's going to happen or how you're going to provide or what you're going to do, I know that you can because you have before and you will again. So we see this unique look at obedience and provision, but that's not all there is in this text. Verses 17 through 24 show us something else. And it it shows us that a son dies. You may have been thinking, well, Elijah's surely getting a lot out of this situation. He's the one who shows up and says, make some food for me, give me some water, and he's provided for, and this widow and her son are provided for. But what is, what is Elijah doing in this situation? Well, it's about to be Elijah's time to repay the favor because as the text goes on, we find that those times of provision are quickly overshadowed by sickness and death. The text tells us that After some time, this widow's son becomes ill, and he eventually dies from that illness. That's what it means when the text is describing this boy, and it says his sickness left him with no breath. The the point there is that he has died from whatever this sickness is. Now, this would have been an extremely difficult loss for that widow, not simply because of the, the pain that comes with losing a child. That is something that Many of us have never experienced, and those who have experienced know how painful it is. She has lost her son and has to deal with that pain, but she has also lost what she probably would have thought of as her future. Because her her thought process is, as I raise my son, at some point he will be old enough to provide for us. He'll be able to go and get a job. He'll start a family of his own. I'll be brought into that family. He will provide for me and honor me into old age, which was their custom. That is what they did. She's probably thinking of her son as that future security. So for her as a widow to lose her son, not only is she suffering the pain and loss of losing a child, but she's also now without hope. She is in a situation where she doesn't know what the future holds. That future provision is gone. And it's from that loss and that pain 
and that fear that she speaks to Elijah. And what she says is, why, why would you do this to me? Why would you, a man of God, come into my house, expose my sin, and kill my son? And those words seem harsh that she would say that, but understandable. Because what she's saying in that moment is she's blaming Elijah for bringing her sin to light, but she's blaming herself. She feels that there is something in her past. Her sin has somehow been the reason why her son has died. She's blaming herself. She thinks that it's her sin that cost her son his life, and it's this guilt and shame that's driving her in her questioning. And Elijah says nothing um, other than the fact that he responds to her and says, give me your child. And with those words, it kind of paints a picture for us that that widow would have been holding her child, probably holding his lifeless body. And, And Elijah says, give me your child. And he takes that lifeless body from the mother, and he begins to make his way to an upper room. And he lays that child on the bed, and he begins to pray. And he, in his prayer, you can see that he's wondering why God is doing this. God, why, why are you doing this this way? Why would you bring me here, use this woman to provide for me, and then take her son in this way? It, it's unexplainable. What am I supposed to say to this woman? I don't know what I'm going to say to this woman. You used her to provide and then you take her son. What do we do? This is unexplainable. But Elijah does what he has been doing with unexplainable things. He takes it to God. He lays the boy down. He stretches himself over the boy and he begins to cry out that God would raise him. And he trusts the Lord to to work this out. Now, the temptation here in this text is to see the, the unique way that Elijah prays for this boy, the stretching out over the boy three times, to, to see that as some sort of uh, the act itself having the power, um, that's the temptation there. But it's not the act itself. It's, it's who the act is for. It's who he's praying to, and that is the Lord. Elijah is taking this boy to the Lord, and the boy is raised from the dead. He returns to his mother's arms, and the woman begins to express her understanding that, one, Elijah clearly is a man of the true God. And two, everything that he's spoken to that point is true. Every word from his mouth has been true. But I want you to consider a few things with me. I want you to think about this situation from that little boy's perspective. Here's this man. He comes to his mom and he makes these demands of his mom to feed him before she feeds uh, the little boy and his mom, how must, what must he have thought in that, that moment? What must he have thought of Elijah in that moment? Here's some man just coming into our home and demanding that my mom provides for him. Surely he, he thought that this man was probably taking advantage of his mom. Yet what must he have thought as the flour and the oil never run out? as he's talking with Elijah day after day, as he's spending time with his mom, and all the while they are not uh, being affected by this drought and this famine, but yet they are provided for by what God has done. What must the little boy have thought then? What must he have thought about Elijah's God after he was raised from the dead? We hope that seeing the provision of God through the food and through the resurrection, that this boy somehow later on would develop his own relationship with the Lord. 
That's what, that's what we hope. The text doesn't tell us, but that's what we hope, that he would have seen these things and he would have seen God's provision and that he would have made uh, his own relationship with the Lord. And I think in this you see something that is a truth for many of our mothers out there. Your faith and obedience may be the very thing that puts your child in a situation to be saved. Now, ultimately, it's a work of the Lord, and it's a choice that they have to make to respond and to make that faith their own and pursue that. So it's a truth for our mothers out there that your faith and obedience can put your child in a situation to be saved. But it's also a truth for the children out there that at some point, experiencing the faith of your mom or your grandmother is not enough. You have to make that relationship your own. But the question then becomes, well, how do I know? How do I know the relationship is my own? How do I know that the relationship is their own? What, what, how do we know that we've, we've put our faith and that we're obediently following the Lord and that you know, we can trust him that he's able to provide and comfort and do these things? How do we know? Well, that brings us to the, the second thing I want us to see from this section is this boy isn't the only son that's ever died and been raised. And this mother isn't the only mother that has ever cried over the loss of a child. There was a hill outside of the walls of Jerusalem where a rough wooden cross stood. And on that cross, there was the bloody and beaten body of a son who was dying. Now, this was no ordinary son that was dying. This was the Son of God. And in that moment, on that cross, the Son of God was being put to death for the sins of others. You remember that mom was so afraid that it was her sins that put her son to death. Well, in this case, it was the sins of others that put this son to death. Sins that were not his own, yet he, he bore those sins to the point of death for you and I. And that son, like this son, did not stay dead. You see, that son was put in a borrowed tomb, and after three days, that tomb was empty. But unlike the son from our story here, This son never died again. The son of God is alive. That was Elijah's point the whole time, that God is alive and he is able and he is capable. Well, this son of God is proof that he is alive and will never die again. The the Bible describes him as a first fruits of the resurrection. He is a first for what can take place for all those who believe in him. And one day that son is going to return. And he is going to take those who believe in him to be with him forever. It's this son, this dead son of God raised to life that shows us that we can know him, that shows us that we can trust him. In his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, we see very clearly again and again his ability to provide. He, he, he provides for so many different types of people in so many different ways during his ministry and even now after his ascension to give strength for those who need it, to give forgiveness for those who need it. He has met needs in so many different ways. It is this Son of God who has the ability to comfort. And he has the ability to comfort because he has walked in despair. And sorrow. He has tasted those things of him, himself. So how do we say, how can I trust him? How do I know he will provide? 
How do I know um, that he is enough? Well, the fact that he has died for our sins, that he's able to provide whatever you need, and the fact that he has power over life and death is enough to show that we can trust him. So let me apologize to those moms out there if this isn't the sermon that you thought you would get on Mother's Day. I could have probably stood up here and, and, and talked about a different mom from the Bible and, and made some kind of topical application to, to how we should love you better and, and those types of things. And I could do that for this one service and then things would go back to the way they were tomorrow. But I thought that it would be better to instead spend a little time talking about the Lord who cares, who loves, who provides, who is always there, who comforts, who does everything that you need, and he does it every day. I thought that that would be a little better. And I hope that in pointing you to his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension, all the things that he is able to do, who he has shown himself to be, that that would encourage us all to know that he can provide, to trust him to do what he calls us to do, as he builds that relationship with himself, as he leads us from where it seems safe to where it seems a little more difficult to where it seems impossible, to know that in each of those situations we can follow him and we can continue to use what he has given us and use it in a way that is faithful and trust that as we are obedient and responsible for what he has given us, he will add to that. He will increase influence. He will increase those who you have interaction with, whatever it may be. He will see that you are faithful in a few things and make you faithful, the opportunity to be faithful over many things. That goes with your kids. That goes with your, your families. That goes with your jobs. Your, because let's face it, at this point... <laughs> Moms are asked to be everything from a short order cook to a entertainer to a school teacher to still working. I mean, all the things that you have to do in all of those different areas, you will have needs. You will need comfort, encouragement, strength, and the Lord is the one who can provide all of those things. Keep doing the things that you're doing. Keep being faithful in what you're doing and know that he will use those things. So I hope that you see that the Lord Jesus Christ is all we need. I pray that you understand today that he has so much to offer no matter where you are. For those moms who are struggling raising children, to those people who wanted to be moms, to those people who have lost moms, to those people who have never known moms, whatever your situation is, you will have a need today. And he is the one to provide in that time. Whether it's comfort or hope or strength, whatever it is, you can find it in him. That goes for everyone. And I hope that's okay. I hope that this Mother's Day sermon speaks to everyone. Because you moms out there know more than most that your husbands and your kids, they need him too. So I pray that you will continue to be faithful, continue to trust him, continue to do whatever he calls you to do. And know that he will use that and he will continue to provide for you. I want to say happy Mother's Day. And I want to say that if there are any needs out there that you can contact us. 
that you can reach us at the church, whether it be myself or Brother Jesse. We are here for you. Um, Just send us an email or a phone call, whatever you need to do to get in touch with us. We are here for you. Um, We look forward uh, to a time where we are back together again soon. But until that time, I pray that you would share this video, like this video, do whatever you have to do in order to get this video to as many people as possible so that they can uh, hopefully be comforted by the Lord to know that he is providing for them, that they can trust him uh, and be faithful to him. I pray that you all have a good rest of your day. I pray that those who are able have the privilege to see their moms today, that they would take advantage of that. I pray for those who uh, maybe don't know or don't have a relationship with their mom or who have lost their mom, that they would be comforted by the Lord. I pray that he helps you today. And I pray that you, at the end of today, can look back and say, I know him better, I love him more than I did at the beginning of the day. Thank you. God bless.